the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, third hour, Piero Pelka. Welcome to the program. You know the number, 888 I didn't work up a vital question of the day today. I was looking at doing something about the voting age. And the reason I was looking at doing something about the voting age is because today, if we, if we do our take a look back in history thing, today is rich in history. Today has a whole bunch of stuff, important stuff in history. For example, on June 22nd in 1870, the United States Department of Justice was created. So we didn't have that for you know, pretty much the first hundred years of the country. In 1970, President Richard Nixon signed the amendment, 26th I believe it is, lowering the voting age in America to 18. It had been 21. If you wanted to elect a president, you had to be 21 years old. And I, I think this is, this is one of those things that I've questioned. Now, the voting age, like I said, it had been 21 years old. But Vietnam seemed to change a lot of things in this country. The Vietnam War, which was sending thousands of young men overseas to fight in the rice paddies of Vietnam and many of them coming home in body bags, many of them coming home disfigured, many of them coming home shell-shocked from battle with, we didn't know it was PTSD at the time, thousands. If you've ever seen the wall in Washington, D.C., you understand. The Vietnam War, I was a young guy. And we had kids who, neighbors who went over and never came back. We had gold star families in the neighborhood. And so many of the young people said, hey, what the hell? These, these people are sending us to war and we have no say in, in them keeping their jobs. And I think a lot of that sparked this interest in, in lowering the voting age from 21 to 18. And it also created a brand new demographic for politicians to have to deal with. An 18 to 20 year old category, a growing category, as baby boomers had kids that were now coming of age. Now you were old enough to go and die for your country, but before Nixon signed that amendment into law, you you couldn't decide, you couldn't vote. You could buy a car, you could buy a house, you were considered an adult, but you couldn't. You were of your majority, but you couldn't vote to see who the president would be. So that happened on the state, but that's one that I, I was going to ask, should the voting age be raised? And you know there would be a war in the streets if we tried to say 21. But then again, we've redefined adulthood now as 26 years old by the health care standards. And Obamacare plus the House bill and the draft of the new Senate bill all keep adulthood in terms of health care 
at 26 years old. So it's an interesting question. When does adulthood begin? And I'm not going to use that millennial phrase, adulting. But there's another question here, or another moment of history here, that's worth taking a look at, that's worth remembering. It's a, it's a moment that I think forever changed America for the good. And you ne almost never hear me talk about something great that was done under FDR. You'll almost never hear me mention FDR and then say something glowing about the administration. Why? Because there was very little about the FDR administration that I can find uh, happiness with. And it was on June 22nd in, um, in 1944 that FDR signed what's known as the GI Bill. And I, I think this is probably one of the things that seriously altered America's future for the better. And here's the deal. If you were to look at America at that time, we, we did not make college a priority for most young men and women. As a matter of fact, uh, leading up to, well, well, let's say in 1939, 160,000 Americans graduated from college. And then in the midst of the war and the, the soldiers coming back from the war, we realized that we had a problem with these veterans who didn't have the jobs, they didn't have the support, they did not have the education. And so the Servicemen's Readjustment Act, officially titled, also known as the GI Bill, was signed in 1944. And what it did, because they were worried about the, the Great Depression coming back, us having another one, what the GI Bill did was provide money, support for many veterans. It helped them with unemployment compensation. It helped with loans, low interest loans for a home, a business. And probably the most important part of the GI Bill was the money that was provided to veterans for education giving veterans money to go to school. And it also offered living expenses. It paid for books and supplies and equipment. We put a priority on higher education. We put a priority on college for, for the young men who had just fought to keep the world free. Okay, so let's go back to 1939 when 160,000 Americans graduated from college. In 1944... Just five years later, the bill is signed, the GI Bill is signed, encouraging veterans to go to school, get a college education, chase, chase a higher education and maybe an American dream. Just a few years later, just three years later, in 1947, veterans made up half, 50% of college enrollment. And then three years after that, in 1950, just six years after the GI Bill, in 1950, a half a million Americans graduated from college. You had 160,000 in 1939. You had a half a million Americans graduating from college in 1950. And the, 
the push of those college-educated young men into the marketplace, I contend, helped, helped elevate America, helped grow us as a nation, helped us develop all of the great minds, great businesses. We had then, you had people that were fanning out across the country that were, were college educated, that then shared that education, that had advanced training in agriculture, commerce, mining, everything that had only been informally taught was now being formally taught. The GI Bill was huge. 20 million vets and dependents used the education benefits. 14 million home loans had been guaranteed. A federal investment of $67 billion, and I dare say it's one of the great, great benefits of, of this country. One of the great ideas that has benefited this country beyond our understanding. George Bush used the GI Bill, George H.W. Bush, Gerald Ford, Al Gore, Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood. I remember interviewing Ed McMahon, oh, about 20 years ago. And he talked about his life as a Marine. And then he talked about the GI Bill after he got out of the service. Imagine what this country would be like if we had kept college education as something only the rich and the privileged could have. We would be nowhere near where we are today. The GI Bill on this date, 1944, signed by FDR a guy you will almost never hear me say something good about. If you want to know what FDR's real effect on the country was, pick up Amity Schley's book, The Forgotten Man. I think it's about six or seven years old. It is a terrific read, and you will understand why I fight against progressive influence in this country and progressivism, and why I so dislike what the Democrats are up to. All right, I'm going to step aside for a break. When we come back, we're going to have this tough conversation about one of the strange effects of transgenderism on the, the people who haven't got a grasp, who suffer from or have diagnosed as gender dysphoria victims. And that's next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. A tough time, tough subject, tough, honest subject that we have to talk about. And I think it's okay for us to approach uncomfortable subjects on this show because you guys are smart enough. You guys are solid. 
you are adults. I'm not going to say we're being adulting here because that would be using a millennial term and I'd have to give myself a timeout for being creepy. But yesterday we approached the subject of gender and how many genders there are. And I got a note from somebody that said, well, you know, the army says they recognize 10 genders. And I was like screaming, no. And I recognize two. And then I recognize that there is a uh, a teeny tiny group of people who are born with both genders and they are very unfortunate in their lot in life. But I don't think that means the whole world is going to identify uh, as all these different fluctuating genders. And I get I laugh when people ask me, what's your PGP? What's your preferred gender pronoun? Because it just seems silly because God didn't give us. Well, it's a different discussion. But yesterday's vital question about how many genders there are then triggered this this interest in some stories about uh, gender dysphoria, one of which appears on thestream.org, written by Liberty McCarter. And uh, Liberty is a staff writer at The Stream. You can see her stuff on thestream.org. She came out of the radio world at a, at a place I've actually done some work, WMAL, Washington's Mall, as they call it. And the subject in this, uh, the, the headline in this story is, quote, they're not fine. Why surgery doesn't help people with gender dysphoria. And this this is a really interesting and and I'm I'm telling you it's painful as well. This is a painful story because it deals with it deals with suicide. And if you've ever known a family that has had a suicide affect it, you know what it does. So um, I'm going to welcome Liberty to the show. We've never talked before, but I'm I'm very happy you had time for us today. Hello, Liberty. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on today. I'm I'm glad you're here. You are only the second Liberty I have met in my life. The first being Casey Kasem's daughter, and I met well, her when she was a baby. So you know that's a long time ago. But um, I. Uh, is, I think the name is getting more popular, so I'd like to say I started that trend, but, you know, who knows? (laughs) Well, I I have no idea how old you are, and it doesn't matter, and I would never ask a lady how old she is unless we were betting on it, you know, at a state fair or something. But uh, (laughs) uh, there is a Liberty uh, who who is Casey Kasem's daughter. Casey's not with us anymore. But this story that you've written about about the the trouble, the emotional trouble and and some of the problems that are affecting the transgender community, the people that are gender dysphoric is really disturbing and and the the suicide rate is astounding. Where and how did this hit you? Um, yeah, so the suicide rate among transgender people or people who identify as transgender is forty percent. And um, there are a couple different studies that confirm this figure, but most recently uh, there was a U.S. transgender survey with the largest survey um, concerning gender identity in America, and that was in 2015. Um, and so I spoke with Walt Heyer, who is somebody who used to identify as a transgender woman, and um, he 
reversed after his transition to go back to his birth gender. And so I spoke with him, and he has done a lot of studying, you know, in addition to his own personal experience, um, just, you know, regarding all the kind of the deeper issues there. And it turns out that in addition to a 40% suicide attempt rate among transgender people, there is a 60% rate of um, mental disorders and more than one mental disorder within the the same person. And those are largely going undiagnosed. And instead, people are just told, change your sex through surgery. And it's not getting at the deeper issues that these people have. So interestingly, you bring up that that's 40% of the the um, people who have gender dysphoria are are suicidal is that is that the correct way to phrase that yes uh, the the transgender survey from 2015 found that 40% of respondents had attempted suicide and then a 2014 study um, from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention found that it was in the early or you know low 40% ballpark as well among um people that identified as transgender as far as having committed suicide or attempted suicide. Now, to give everybody listening some clarity on that, suicide rates in America, that that 40% number, or if it tickles higher, that's double. That's more than double of the highest suicide rate in America, which in 2015, these are government numbers, uh, that 19.6% among adults between 45 and 64 years of age, 19.6. Second highest rate was 19.4 in those who are 84 and older. And it, it's younger in, in lower and middle-aged and older adults as well. But the suicide rate among 15 to 24-year-olds, 12.5%. And I'm imagining many of these folks in this sample, the discussion we're having about uh, people with gender dysphoria and saying that that they are given this, um, I think the term that was in your story was false hope uh, about changing genders. Uh, the, the numbers hitting over over 40 percent, and these people are probably not seniors. These are probably young people and young adults. So it's, it looks to be more than triple the normal numbers. So that's astounding. Right. And, you know, the scary thing is um, more and more young people are starting to identify as transgender or question their gender identity. And I actually um, reported on this back in April and a, an Australian psychologist was talking about this issue and how so many young kids, even in elementary and middle school, are falsely identifying themselves as, you know, transgender because um, of social contagion or just a lot of other issues that have also been confirmed in studies um, that show, you know, how many people are, are identifying this way now. Um, and this is despite the fact that, you know, you have these high suicide rates. And in the United States, you've had kids as young as 13 years old started on hormone treatments. And then, you know, five years later when they're 18, some states even younger, they can get a surgery to alter their body forever. Um, but the information about this unhappiness and even the suicide attempts has actually been out since the 70s. You had um, a Dr. Charles Illenfeld who spent years giving hormone treatments to people who identified as transgender and eventually he stopped and went into uh, psychiatry after treating over 500 people because he said these people are unhappy. 
you know, there's a high suicide rate among them, and this isn't fixing the problem. There are deeper issues. So we actually went into a completely different field to help address Well, hang on, Liberty, hang on one second. I'm up against a hard break. I'd like you to hang on. I want to continue this discussion with uh, the stream.org's Liberty MacArthur, and we're talking about the suicide rate among people with gender dysphoria. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Piero Pelka. Yeah, we've been covering the fact that the GOP has put out its uh, draft copy of the health care pitch from the Senate, and there currently are four GOP senators who oppose it. Rand Paul being the most specific on it, saying uh, we're not really getting rid of Obamacare. This is Obamacare light, and the, the discussion on this will continue for a week. But we're having a serious discussion here. It's a follow-up to yesterday's vital question about how many genders there are. And in having this discussion, I came upon a story from the stream.org entitled, They're Not Fine, Why Surgery Doesn't Help People with Gender Dysphoria. And Liberty, Liberty McCarter, the author of this story, was just telling us about the fact that this, this information, this knowledge... Of, of the trouble of people with gender dysphoria and the fact that they have a, a suicide rate double, and in some cases, in some demographics, triple that of the rest of the country. These numbers have been out there forever. You were saying in the 70s, uh, there was a doctor who had been giving hormone therapy to people with gender dysphoria, and he realized that the problem was bigger than, than anybody knew. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, Dr. Charles Ellenfeld, he spent six years giving hormone treatment to over 500 people. Um, and then he later, you know, said, uh, there is too much unhappiness among people who have had the surgery. That's a quote. Too many of them end as suicides. And then mm. there was another doctor in the 70s um, at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Paul McHugh, and he oversaw a study of people who also had this sex reassignment surgery. Um, and he came out in 2004 saying that in their psychological condition, they were little changed. Um, and then, uh, you know, the man I spoke with, Walt Heyer, who has actually gone through the surgery himself and then reversed back to his original, his birth gender, um, he spoke with this doctor, Paul McHugh, again in 2015, and Dr. McHugh said he still did not see any medical justification for the surgery. And so it's interesting. Another thing that Mr. Heyer told me is that you really need to follow up with people um, years after, you know, uh, their surgery, because a lot of times you start seeing the regret cycle come along eight to 15 years later. There's an initial reprieve where they feel good. But if those underlying issues were never addressed, um, if surgery wasn't the answer, they're still going to have those issues again 10 years later. And that's what you're finding when you actually do the long-term follow-up with people. And see, this is so important, and people aren't paying attention to this. And so, Liberty, I'm very, I'm very happy that this article is out there. Uh, 
And uh, in, in some ways, I, I had this, this flash of understanding on this that makes me think, um, and I'm going to simplify this. The people who wrote the angry notes yesterday, the angry emails and angry tweets to me, direct messages, are going to probably respond again today. In some ways, I think that this is, this is a response. The, the jump to transgenderism and or jumping to try and take these hormones and or have surgery, and then you wake up and say, wait a minute, I didn't want that. It's like the person who makes an impulse purchase after winning the lottery and buys all these cars and all these homes and then realizes all that stuff doesn't change who you are inside. All that stuff didn't fix your feelings of emptiness or your lack of satisfaction in your life. And it only serves to point it out even more so. And I know it's a simplification, but am I wrong? Are we kind of on the same level here? No, I think you're exactly right. Um, another thing Mr. Heyer talked about is um, the young people that, and everybody, but especially young teenagers who feel like they are in the wrong gender, he'll spend long time, you know, days, years, however long it takes, talking with these people, having these conversations. And he says, you know, a lot of the time, um, or most of the time, they eventually will admit there was a point that they started having this, um, feeling that they were born in the wrong gender, and usually it followed up some kind of trauma, whether it was physical abuse or sexual abuse or another kind of abuse, um, and that is very common. And so when you are looking at this, uh, 60% of people who identify as transgender have multiple mental disorders, 40% attempt suicide, and then a significant amount also had trauma early on in their childhood. Um, it's like, okay, why are we just saying you can fix all your problems by switching genders? Obviously, there's other issues that need to be addressed. And um, you're, you, you know, you're so right. Yeah. And uh, to support this, I I even go to last week when Camille Paglia, somebody who rarely comes up with something, I say, well, that's right, Camille, that's spot on. Mm -hmm. Camille Paglia, famous feminist, s critic of society, all kinds of stuff. A very controversial woman said that uh, giving parents who give children who think they're transgender puberty blockers are engaging in a criminal violation of human rights. And I have to say, I agree with Camille Paglia. The parents who are, are okaying these kids at five and 10 and 15. Uh, taking a, a hormone blockers to stop the body's natural development, I think they're they're going to be viewed in the future the way we viewed some of the experiments the uh, on human beings that were performed by crazy regimes like the Nazis. I, I I'm sorry to get extreme on it, but that really feels like what it is to me. I think that's true, and and, and it's important to note um, because it's such a touchy and controversial issue. People who are speaking out against this are not transphobic. I mean, some people, you know, there are always people that are not nice. But in general, I think you're having a lot of pushback because you see these suicide rates and uh, these mental disorders going untreated. And you have children and teenagers who are permanently changing and damaging their bodies. Um, 
and so this is serious. And you have people, you know, liberal feminists. There's also several members um, in the LGBT community who have teamed up with conservative think tanks to speak out against this. Because, and it's the doctor I mentioned earlier, Charles Ellenfeld, I didn't mention this in the article, but he was actually a homosexual. And so, and he was the one who said, look, this surgery is not fixing these issues. So there are people on all ends of the political spectrum speaking out because people are being harmed. And that's what the issue is. It's not transphobia. People are getting hurt. Well, it's a it's a very important topic and one I appreciate the clarity, the facts, the history and and the news that this is a this is a dangerous situation if not taken seriously and not without the correct long-term view of what the problem is and treatment and your work Liberty is important. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Have a great rest of your day. The story is on uh on the website as you as we speak you can read it it's on the stream.org the headline they are not fine why surgery doesn't help people with gender dysphoria a heavy topic right we can't be afraid to deal with heavy topics michael pelka on the blaze radio network reminding you i got i have to give you an admonishment if you have pain from inflammation in your joints in your knees in your back in your neck whatever your hips and you haven't taken the plunge and tried the three-week quick start program from Relief Factor, what are you waiting for? Seriously. It's nineteen ninety-five for three weeks. So you pick up the phone, you call this number, right? Write it down. 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. I take it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I have stopped taking any kind of painkillers, and this is a guy who was considering knee replacement surgery because my knees were killing me. It's been 16 weeks since I've touched an over-the-counter painkiller. I don't touch prescription painkillers, just all-natural anti-inflammatory relief factor. It helped me. It helped so many people. Check it out. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384. It is Relief Factor, and we'll be right back with a fabulous finish to this show. Something uplifting for the people of the Grinnell Towers. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back. We've got uh, just a little bit of business to take care of before we get to this uh, great song that's going to help the people from the Grenfell Tower. Um, It's uh, 36 years ago today, something wild happened at Wimbledon with an American. John McEnroe hit a ball that was called out, and McEnroe had one of the legendary temper tantrums of, of all time. I don't know if you remember him yelling on the court with his headband. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Chalk flew up. It was clearly in. It was clearly in. Chalk flew up. One of the great temper tantrums of all time by an American (laughs) at Wimbledon. Yes, I'm a little tennis-centric, but I appreciate it. And speaking of London... 
the Wimbledon championships are July 3rd through the 16th. Still don't know if we're going. We're hoping. We're crossing our fingers. Maybe we'll be there this year, and if not, next year. But uh, London is still doing a little bit of recovery over the horrific fire that happened at the Grenfell Tower. And you've heard me rant and rave about the uh, Labor Party, Jeremy Corbyn, saying he wants to confiscate empty homes and give them to the people who are homeless. And yes, he said that. And he's also uh, helped push the purchase of luxury apartments to be given permanently to some of these people. It's, uh, it's disturbing. And when he started to get traction on that topic, I thought this was really interesting. Simon Cowell, yes, that Simon Cowell, the guy from American Idol. Simon Cowell stepped up and said, hold on a second. Uh, we need to do something, something really, um, really innovative. We need to let the free market help out. So he got the rights to a beautiful song, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. And he has a We Are The World-like group singing it. And it just came out today. You can get it on iTunes if you want. It's a beautiful song if you love music and it's doing some good. And I'll tell you what, we've been allowed to play it here to finish the show. So I'm going to shut up. I'll come back at the very end. But I'm going to finish the show with the song that you should get. I got it. It'll help people. Yeah, I don't know where to begin, so I'll start by saying I refuse to forget you. I refuse to be silenced. I refuse to neglect you. That's for every lost soul I've been grateful, even though I've never even met you. Because that could have been my mom's house. Well, that could have been my nephew. Now that could have been me up there. Waving my white plane tee up there. With my friends on the ground trying to see up there. I just hope that you rest and you're free up there. I can't feel your pain, but it's still where it is. Went to the block just to chill with the kids. Troubled waters come running past. I'ma be right there just to build when you a bridge. When you're weary. And feeling small. When tears are in your eyes, I will dry them. in the dark.
Testudo. My friends, Testudo. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.